Hi and welcome to Working Well. I'm Suzanne McCabe from Life Switch Coaching and this podcast is about helping you to thrive in your career and your life. If you want to overcome workplace stress, build your confidence and get work-life balance back in your life, then this podcast is for you. So today I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Neil Robson. Uh, Dr. Neil Robson is the co-founder of Rebel Chocolate based here in Glasgow. He began his career as a biochemist in his native New Zealand and then went on to do a PhD in immunology at Glasgow University. His research interests focused on cancer, vaccines and inflammation. Neil's a martial arts fan but back in 2006 he sustained a back injury which resulted in chronic back pain. And in 2011, he had back surgery, but it failed. Now, I don't want to tell you too much more because Neil is actually going to explain more about this in his story. So I want to welcome Neil onto the show today. First of all, Neil, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, no problem at all. Um, So tell me, you're currently involved with Rebel Chocolate. Tell us about your business, please. Yes, so it's we when we try to describe it to people, we always sort of say, How did I become how did I go from immunology to chocolate? And sometimes I wonder myself how I became a chocolate maker, but it it really involved trying to do something a bit different and trying to do something positive and also trying to do something positive regarding nutrition and snacking and things like that. I've always been really interested in nutrition. My original um degree was in biochemistry all right yeah i was really involved in proteins and we used to make proteins and yeast cells and we actually made human embryonic hemoglobins and Mm -hmm. yeast cells it was quite amazing so it purified blood on columns and it was um, quite spectacular um and so i I used to go to the gym quite a lot and i did martial arts and um, i just had a natural interest in everything to do with nutrition and I want to be as healthy as I can, I guess, although I'm not always particularly healthy, but I, the whole thing with obesity and you're seeing young people walking around, I mean, we've got, I've got a wee blur Britain and it's like one of the things that have really hits me is you see young kids who are overweight eating yeah. these massive bars of chocolate. Yes, absolutely. And it was that and I kept on, for some reason, parents seem really, for some reason they really want to give their kids the wee white chocolate buttons. Uh-huh. And stuff. Those things a year ago, those things contain sixty-two percent sugar. Oh, absolute! (laughs) They're like a treat for the kids. It's like here's your toddler. Here, have a wee chocolate, white chocolate button, and they're terrible. There's nothing in it whatsoever that's worthwhile. No, no nutritional value. Yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to do something different. So I originally had a um, in New Zealand. There's these wee bars, and they're basically compacted milk powder. And we called them milky bars, and we'd buy them in every dairy, which is a corner shop. Uh-huh. And you'd buy them for whatever, five cents, way back. This is way back. And you'd chew on them, and they'd basically turn into like a chewy milk powder in your mouth, which I love milk, so okay. I loved it. So I was thinking about what I could do after academia. Well, while I was in academia, coming towards the end of my, that part of my career, I was thinking, what can I do? What could I make? I love making things. I love inventing things. And I thought, well, why not try and make a milky bar that, so a, a milk-based snack product that wasn't fruit and nuts, because everything seems to be fruit and nuts. Everything's like healthy, raw fruit and nuts. And I was like, what about doing something different? 
And then I thought, well, can I make that product flavoured with something apart from just being milk? And the obvious one was chocolate. And in the last number of years, proteins have been, or protein consumption has been really big. Uh-huh. Like you, the, the buzz term for a fair while now. You see it all over the supermarkets. And so I was trying to make a healthier product that tasted great, that had some nutritional values. The protein came into the equation. And I thought, well, making these mooki bars that were um, chocolate flavored would be a great idea. But then nearly immediately afterwards, I was lying there thinking, how about putting protein into chocolate uh-huh. instead of the other way around? Yeah. And can you make something that tastes like really great chocolate and some would eat it and never know that there's a healthy uh, anything about it? Uh-huh. And that set me on that road, really. So we spent eight months testing that. I was working part-time in academia and the other half of the time I was working for eight months at home with a small grinder, just making batch after batch of chocolate, trying to make it taste good. Uh-huh. Um, and then finally, we think we did it. We've got a, we think we've got a great recipe. Uh-huh. Um, so we decided once I, once I made that decision to leave academic research, we, we went, okay, let's move into a shipping container, buy some equipment and start making innovative, healthier, great tasting chocolate. I love that. I love those free. <laughs> chocolate in the UK that's lactose free all those poor lactose intolerant people yeah yeah um I uh I've tried the the plain milk one can't remember what you call it um my friend got me a bar um really really tasty I really enjoyed it and um I like the fact that you're not trying to cram uh, cram fruit and nuts in it as well because I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to chocolate <laughs> so I so I like just the chocolate and I enjoy yeah, it just for its own sake, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a great product. It's it's excellent. Glad you like it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's Rebel Chocolate. And, you know, where can people buy it locally, <laughs> Neil? Um, so we've got a – we were really lucky. We got a what's called a by design grant from the Scottish Government, and this was really instrumental for us. Uh-huh. What they do is – you can apply for it as a young business and they'll supply 75% of the funding up to a total of £5,000 okay. to do design work and branding for you. So mm-hmm. we were able to get all our branding. So if you go onto our website and look at Rebel Chocolate, you'll see our branding. It's really cool. Yep. We got that done for us. And um, this is a company called Randac Design in the city. Okay. And that's really great. And they also did an e-commerce website for us. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, companies were – Suggest they well, they're quoting us at least 10 grand just for a website alone. Most were even more than that. Oh, so yeah. So, we got for, for seven grand, we I know this is figures and money, but we got an e commerce website, great design work, labels done, everything. So, we were really lucky. So, I'd, I would recommend that company. That's not meant to be a plug, it's just meant to be. I'll see if they want to be interviewed next, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, actually. Now I've forgotten the question. What was the question? Uh, it, it, it was just uh, where, you know, locally, where can oh, people buy this lovely chocolate yeah. of yours? Okay, so if you go around Glasgow, you'll now see it popping up in a number of different places. So we're in um, Kimball's Chocolate Shop, both in... Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, they've got a couple of wee chocolate, a big cafe and a chocolate shop. We're now in all the tinder boxes around the city. Uh-huh. Um, we're in uh, Peckham's in the West End, in the two shops in the West End. Uh-huh. You're in McCune Smith, um, My Martha's Cafe. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. And 
I think the major ones are, oh, um, Better Bodies on Dumbarton Road, a bodyboarding shop, which uh-huh. is really good for us. We've got this crossover between people who love chocolate and people who actually just want to eat, like, protein. Uh-huh. And then our other stock is, I think, mainly outside of Glasgow now. So we've got them all, we've now got a Welsh stockist, a couple of English stockists, um, and a number of different ones around Scotland. So you can go into our stockist list on, the, on our website and have a look and see if there's one close by. Good. If not, Get in touch and we'll send some to you. <laughs> Brilliant. Right, Neil. Well, listen, you previously worked in academia. So tell me, um, you told me a little bit about that and your interest in developing chocolate. Um, but tell me a little bit about what you did in, in academia um, outside of that and how you got to a point of being un- unable to work in that field. Yeah. So there was, there was a really long journey and I think that will that's sort of intrinsic to the story. Um, I think I said in about 2000, I, I went, we went to Australia and my partner and I, now my wife and I, um, in 2004 after finishing our PhDs. And it was a couple of years in, into Australia that I injured my back. And basically it was an injury that put me out of action for a couple of months and then got better, or seemed to get better. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to training too quickly and re-injured it. And basically it got worse and worse over time. And then in... 2009 I was really lucky that I got a um, Wellcome Trust fellowship to travel to the U back to the UK to work in Edinburgh and but leading up to that I was it was uh, I was worried all the time about my career because my back was getting worse and I had a this amazing fellowship to go and work for two years in Edinburgh but I was aware I was just getting more and more concerned that I wouldn't be able to do the work there's a lot of sitting and a lot of twisting and repetitive work in, in academic research itself and, uh-huh. and the, the side of writing and things. So we, we came to the UK and it, I, the, it, the problem didn't go away. It just kept getting worse. I had a good GP and we started going through different medications to try and help it. And it was really difficult because I could get – I was working at less than 50% capacity in, in Edinburgh and that caused a lot of issues, actually, um, which other people in this situation might – like, I had people around me and who didn't necessarily understand my situation. Yes. And people thought, you know, is this person just lazy? Why aren't they staying until 7 o'clock at night and working like us? Why aren't they doing this? Yeah. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't. And, um, I mean, that will also link into what we're talking about with depression and things where – that situation just gets you down and then you end yeah. up in pain going home and trying to sleep all afternoon because uh-huh. you want to get rid of pain and things like that. Yeah. So I also, in Edinburgh for nearly a year, I think I worked part, no, maybe not, eight, eight or nine months, I worked part-time. Uh-huh. And that then that led into 2011 where it got to the point where I thought I'd have to try surgery even though it was like a, a bit of a shot in the dark. There was... No guarantee that it would have any positive effect whatsoever. So I had surgery in 2011 and then spent about three months off recovery and then went back to work part-time, I think. Um, so it was really over that five or six-year period uh-huh. that the back injury happened, it progressed, got worse and worse, and then it got to that point. So it was, it was over that. God, that's a long time, isn't it, to be <laughs> to be stressed and about yeah. work. Your career when I was at university for nine years in total, uh-huh. and then if you only work as a postdoc for five years, and then thinking you have to leave your career, it's a it's a lot of energy put into getting to that position, and then realizing that it might be it might be finishing. Yes. Um. So that's so that the progression of my career until then, and then it, so then in 
two years ago in May at a fellowship in Glasgow, another great fellowship, um, but that also the funding came to an end. And then I decided it was time to do something else. I just couldn't, didn't have the capacity physically to, to do yeah. the work anymore. So, uh-huh. and then I luckily found a new passion. So <laughs> I'm inventing new healthier chocolates. So chocolate saved me. Yeah, absolutely. So you basically, um, I guess you were feeling a lot of stress and depression over those years between getting your injury and having your back surgery and and beyond, I guess, because you weren't working at full capacity. Is that right? Yeah, this, and it's exactly, and it's. I think I mentioned to you previously when we talked, it's very hard for, I mean, lots of people will, will identify with this, especially when you've, you're in academia where it's so results-driven, so achievement-driven. It's yes. all about achievement. You've got to achieve. You've got to achieve certain um, international levels of prestige. Um, you've got to gain funding, publications. And you, I think academia especially and lots of other roles, um, you become – you the work and the achievement within the role becomes a big part of you. So if you can't achieve things like you want to, mm-hmm. it then takes away a big part of your identity, yes. I think. And you've got you lose that and you think, well, if I'm not Neil the scientist anymore achieving getting fellowships and things, what am I meant to do with myself? Yes. Um and and did that bring I, I know for me that there was a lot of uh, frustration when I was in that situation off with, with chronic fatigue um, but also a lot of fear for me like, like what, what the heck do I do next yeah, what, do you do? what do you do next yeah yeah and, yeah. I, and I've, I've had that um, a few times in my life but certainly when I was off with chronic fatigue and, and realising that yeah there was things that I could change about my life but some things I just couldn't change so you know why not focus on what I could change? And that was my, my job. And I realised that actually my job had been a part of my stress more than I had realised. It would take me a while to realise it. Yeah. Um, and therefore, having realised that, it was like, oh, so what do I do now? I'm off sick. I'm absolutely knackered. How do I find something that works for me in my circumstances? And yeah, the fact that my children are still young, etc., um, and I also had the situation about six years ago, it was, where I was snowboarding and I fell back and had a head injury and had quite a bad concussion that affected me for months. And um, it was it was difficult just to kind of organise my breakfast in the morning and get the kids out to school and all that. and. And that was my identity, you know, first and foremost, I'm a mum and, and my job is to get them out to school. Um, yes, I've got a very supportive husband, I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard, but I guess all the family stuff I tend to deal with because of, of working hours and things. And um, I also, I, f- I felt that fear of, of well, if, if I'm not managing my role as a mum, then who am I? What am I doing? You know, and it, it's... it's, it's, it's it's a scary place to be. Um, so what support did you have for the stress and depression that you were experiencing, Neil? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I'm really lucky. I've got a fantastic wife. Um, we met when we were at university, actually, when um, Susanna was just finishing off her honest, honest degree and I just started as a research technician. So it's coming up to 18 years we've been together, I think. Um, and I'm, I'm very lucky. I think we've got a really very supportive relationship. And I, I think between us, we intrinsically can see when the other person, most often, I think, well, 99.9% of the time, you know when the other person needs some support. You don't have to necessarily say it. They know you so well. And I think that's a huge thing if you're feeling, if you're feeling so wrapped up in, 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 in this, what, this, this world of where everything's around you and you can't get out. Um, if someone can see that and you don't actually have to say anything to them, uh-huh. I mean, you're, then I think you're really lucky. And um, my family, I mean, most of my, my direct family is in New Zealand, and but they're, they're great as well. I can always turn to my family and my mum and um, brother and sisters to talk and things. Uh-huh. And I think I think because I'm like I'm 45 now, so I'm an adult, well, I'm mostly an adult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess maybe that makes it a little bit easier than when you're trying to deal with such things when you're maybe in your teens or late teens when uh-huh. life is in a different place. Yes. It still can be really hard, obviously, um, but you, you, I think you naturally become more able at, at dealing with these things. Um, but the main thing with Suzanne, my wife, absolutely. Um, without her, then I, this could have gone very, very differently, I think. Yes. I think I, I'm like a lot of people who suffer, like who can have a tendency to be have a depressive mindset sometimes. I mean, I could easily turn down the route of drinking too much or yeah. doing other such things, yeah. um, destructive things. Uh-huh, sure. But, you know, it's about coping, like coping mechanisms and avoidance mechanisms, um, and that doesn't happen so easily. You don't go in that, down that destructive path so easily if you've got someone there to support you and you're working together. Yeah. So, yeah, having a great partner has been absolutely central. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Good. Um, I'm wondering, like you said that you you could have used things like drink and so on to cope. What what other elements did you bring into your life to kind of help support you through that really difficult time? Mm-hmm. The thing is, when I, I'm trying to th- like, when I think back, it's like that period of going through the chronic pain. Well, I'm still obviously going through it, but that period of chronic pain and realizing that this is destroyed by my career is sort of disappearing. It took a long time to, there was still a lot of um, negative things, if you know what I mean. It took a long time to turn that, the negatives around into working at positives. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, Drinking too much and things is an easy one for me. I've always been a big drinker. Um, not so, not now, but and it was just going through that path also. Where even as a when I was a, in my late teens and twenties, I always enjoyed drinking and partying. And then when you're feeling a depressive side of things, you tend to keep going along that path. Sure. So it was a dual thing actually. It was coming to recognise that. Those are those sort of things aren't solutions for one. Um, so if you can get rid of some of the negatives, that's I think a good. Actually, that's getting rid of negatives can help you find positives to cope. Yes. Um, instead of just saying to yourself, "Oh, I have to find positive things." Well, yes, find positive things as in removing some of the negatives. So remove some of the things that bring you down. 
um, yes. and things that might put stresses on relationships and things like that. Uh-huh, yeah. So it's critical to getting to feeling a lot better. So, um, and then, I mean, changing career, that's a huge one. Oh, um, yeah. I, would be, I mean, I thought that would be massively difficult, but because I managed to find something else I'm, I really want to do, it didn't become massively difficult and it became a, a much, a very positive thing. And then we've always, for a long time, we've wanted to get an animal, a pet, an animal, <laughs> a dog. Uh-huh. So we've got a puppy and then having a puppy in your life and playing with that and taking your dog for a walk three times a day and uh-huh. getting out, knowing your neighbours. Now everyone knows us in the street. Everyone knows Aussie, our dog. <laughs> uh, so putting, taking away negatives and putting in positives, that's what I think would was the end result was how you, how I cope with things, coped with things and, and do cope with things. But it's easy to say that now. You can't necessarily see that when you're going through these these things. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what would you, I guess if you were to look back when you were kind of in the thick of it then and your depression was quite bad around this uh, situation, what would you say to yourself right at the start? To kind of, I don't know, save yourself some of that heartache and stress yeah. that you experienced? Um, boy, what would I say to myself? Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't actually know the answer to that. I don't know what I'd say to myself. Uh-huh. I, I, now I can see that, for instance, turning to drinking so much would be one thing you can say to yourself, but lots of people had said that to me and I didn't listen. Um, so saying it that to myself, maybe if I could have really said that to myself at the time because I knew it inside myself, uh-huh. then yes, that would have been a thing. It would have been to come, like, if I'd come to that realisation of trying to remove some of the negatives. Uh-huh. But, yeah, that would have been a major thing. If, if you could come to the realisation earlier about what's negative in your life, that's what what is propagating yes. the feelings, Yes, that would be a great thing. So, yeah, I guess that's it, Finding, trying to find ways to identify the negatives and get rid of them as soon as possible. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I'd agree with that, and it ties in very well with the, the CBT that I would do with uh, clients, you know, so... I did CBT. Yeah, and I just remembered. Yeah, I can't remember the the lady's name, and she was great in Edinburgh. If she ever sees this, thank you. I went through about six months and talking about how I was approaching things and my relationships with people and my relationships with beer and wine and whiskey, and um, it was. And in the end, at the time, sometimes it was like really hard going through that. Uh-huh. But then at the end, I, I look back and I think I think that had an amazing impact on my life. Um, so thank you to the lady who helped me. <laughs> Whatever she is. So CBT is good, yes. I would, I'd recommend it to people for sure. Yeah, it's just... Um... I guess kind of identifying the the beliefs that you have about yourself, what you tell yourself, the messages that you tell yourself that aren't helpful, you know, that just completely exacerbate any situation that you're in and recognising those and, 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 you know, getting clients to just see the other side of it. You know, for example, if they, if they say something like I am unworthy, well, okay. So give me an example of a time where you haven't been unworthy 
you know. And it's almost like helping them to find the evidence to challenge their own beliefs. Yeah, yeah, I remember those things now. Uh -huh, those, yeah. Those and, both and, the questions that, that, that asked me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, it was good. It was really good. Uh, because, because these beliefs set us uh, uh, in a mindset where we create rules for ourselves, you know. So if, if you're telling yourself you're not worthy, then you might say something like, um, I can't achieve what I want or I'm not good enough or I can't ask for what I want. And these all have an impact on you being able to uh, achieve your goals in life and, and, and go for, for what matters to you. Um, so but I you were doing CBT. That's great. I am doing CBT. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I do some uh, NLP as well. So yeah, that's that's all part of it. What's NLP? Uh, Neuro linguistic programming. Oh, I didn't never heard of it. It's it's about how people um, how they experience the world. So, for example, okay. if someone has had a really traumatic event, if you get them to play it through in their mind. Uh, one of the things you can do to to lessen the impact on them, for example, is to um, take the picture in their mind and maybe change it from colour to black and white. Yeah. Or if they're hearing a lot of sounds as they're okay. experiencing yeah. again, you're kind of turning the sound down yeah. on it. Yeah, it's cool. I remember. I actually found it. Um, I, I went for counselling some years ago. Uh, I had some postnatal depression and um, uh, we had been in a car accident and it was um, had quite an impact uh, on us. Anyway, I brought this up uh, with my counsellor and what she got me to do was to replay the accident. But um, first of all, uh, replaying it from the last point where I felt safe yeah, and then rewinding it and then playing it forward really quickly and then rewinding it fast. Okay, you're right, you. And back and forward and faster yeah, and faster each time. Experience. Yeah, and then you kind of go, what was I worried about? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. It's cool. It, it's, it's good techniques and uh, it, it helps people, you know. But, um, yeah, so I guess um, since we are talking about depression and, and I'm doing a little series on depression with the podcast Neil so I just want to mention a few numbers for anybody who's listening in so in the UK uh, you can always phone the Samaritans if you are feeling low you don't need to be suicidal to phone the Samaritans their number is 116123 that's 116123 and it's a 24-hour service and in Scotland here, we've got Breathing Space, 0800 83 85 87. That's 0800 83 85 87. And of course, you can always dial 999 in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland if you are feeling that you need some immediate support. So, Neil, thank you very, very much for... Uh, agreeing to come on and be interviewed and and do you want to just uh, let everybody know where your website is so that they can check out oh, your products sure, sure. <laughs> www.rebelchocolate.co.uk okay rebelchocolate.co.uk fantastic Neil thank you very much again and uh, hope to see you soon and catch up and find out how your business is getting on thank you thanks oh, okay take care Bye. thanks so that's us at the end of today's podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. I hope you got something 
from the podcast today that it's helped to inspire you to make positive changes in your own life. And if you did enjoy it, please jump over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. It will help get the message out about good well-being and positive mental health. You can also subscribe to the podcast and that way you'll get notified when new podcasts become available. But one of the best things you could do is share the podcast with someone that you think would benefit from what we've discussed today. So if there's someone in your life who would enjoy listening to the podcast, click that share button and pass it on. Thank you. Finally, I just want to say that I'm always open to suggestions for content for podcasts and I'm also looking for inspiring people to interview. So if you are a business owner or you're an employee who has been in a situation where you've had a lot of stress in your life, maybe you've been going through a major change and it's really affected you in a negative way, caused you a lot of stress or anxiety or mild depression, and you have used that to look at your life and re-examine your life and turn it around, then I would love to interview you. I'm always looking for inspiring stories. And that's what I do in my coaching. I help people who have been experiencing stress, anxiety or depression in the workplace and in their home life as well. And I help them to turn that around by addressing the problems that they're experiencing in life, by helping to build their skills to overcome some of those challenges, to, to manage their time, to help them to make big decisions that they're facing, because that can really overwhelm people as well, and to gradually build their confidence. And as they start to build that confidence, they realise that they can achieve a lot more. And we set goals, we set practical goals for things that they really want to achieve in their life. And we put a plan in place for them to achieve that. So if you want to find out more about what I do at Life Switch Coaching, you can go to my website, which is at www.lifeswitchcoaching.com. And you can email me at Suzanne at LifeSwitchCoaching.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-E at LifeSwitchCoaching.com. Thanks very much for listening and take care. Goodbye.